the mic is working today. Hello, everybody. Good day, and welcome back <clears throat> to another episode of Merged Worlds, our Dungeons & Dragons story podcast thing. Um, so today, big day for the story. Very big day. Um, I can say that we will be finishing up the Caradon storyline today. Um, I have some things planned in this episode uh, that hopefully you all will enjoy. But uh, if nothing else, uh, there may be some surprises and pop-up things. Hello, MT, Miss Ashley Cooper and Jim Cooper. So nice to say Cooper twice there. Uh, and again, congratulations to Miss Ashley and Jim on their most recent uh, marriage. Congrats, folks. Um, <clears throat> so today we'll be finishing up the Caradon storyline. Um, I will say that there are some things that are going to happen today that have been long coming. And uh, I am hopeful you will enjoy where I take the story. Um, I think that there will definitely be some surprises. <clears throat> and definitely, I uh, would love to hear your feedback. Um, so if you are watching this on YouTube, uh, YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe here on the channel so you can you know, let me know whether you liked it or not. Uh, but more importantly, uh, make sure you leave a comment with your feedback. If you like the story, things you like, things you don't, I'd love to hear your feedback. As well as if you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Amazon Music and Podcasts, Google Playlists. I'm on all of them now. Uh, hey, if you're listening on any of those, please be sure to give that a follow as well. Uh, leave a review, comments. I'd love to hear your thoughts on just the whole series as a whole, but especially today's episode. A lot of things coming. Uh, today might run a little long. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I've been writing for the last five and a half hours, and my fingers hurt so much. I, I'm a very heavy writer. I hold the pencil very tightly, and so the end of my fingers get all dented and bruised whenever I write. So uh, uh, I'm hurting, but I'm going through that pain for you all, because I love you. And he says, things that have been long coming, motto of virtuals. It's true. It's true. I love, I love planting the seeds of something and building upon it until the big reveal or such. Uh, I think that uh, it's, it's more rewarding when there's anticipation or when you can look back and see the pieces that maybe you missed that form the whole picture. It, it makes you look at what's happened in a different light. Uh, so, yeah, I think we may see a little bit of that today. Maybe. Um, my fingers uh, feel the same way now that I'm married. <laughs> oh, Jim, I love you to death, brother. All right. Uh, so, last thing I'll mention before we get into this, uh, again, on my website, onlydraven.com, on the ODG store, uh, we have now released uh, a brand new line of Merged Worlds merchandise. You can get shirts and cups and water bottles and all sorts of stuff uh, in all of the different God's Holy symbols, available in multiple colors and things. Uh, you have, Even if you're not looking to buy one, it's cool if you'd like to see what all the God Holy symbols look like. Uh, all of those are listed there for the Gods of Merged Worlds. So, be sure to check them out. And if you see something you'd like, maybe a color that doesn't exist, let me know. I can add more. Okay. Now that I've got all the pimping myself stuff out of the way, we can get into some story, right? Let's touch back on what's happened. So, Artis, Mave, Petal, Ran, and Kip um, went north. They abandoned their uh, pursuit of catching up to Seraph, Deacon, and Mugen. 
because the magical artifact Quintius, uh, which is a magical scepter that Artis was drawn to and brought with her from her family's treasure room back in Serenity, uh, turned out to be sentient and told them that there was a great evil in the kingdom of Caradon, and they had to go there and deal with it, because if they didn't, it would have very detrimental effect on Seraph in the future, and potentially the death uh, and loss of Serenity as a whole. So they took the Miss Dandelion, which uh, was a ship that Darsh, May's father, had sent uh, for them, which was uh, Petal's mom's Dandelion's old ship. There's a lot of things, Pastor. I'm throwing a lot of names at you. Hopefully some of you heard some of this before. Uh, and uh, Which is captained by Captain Lyman, who has been the captain of the ship since Dandy got it. And uh, they headed north to Caradon. Um, once they got to Caradon, they began to travel across the country to get to the castle. Um, had a couple incidents. Some weird shadowy things happen. Shady things, if you will. Um, but nothing really pointing out to the source of said evil. Um, although Quintius mentioned that as they were getting closer to the castle, he could feel a more sense more of an evil thing and so on, uh, to the point that he started to go quiet because he was felt being blocked or muffled, and, and he was trying to save his strength for when should he be needed. So they arrive at the castle. They start hanging out there. Uh, the king, Keldred, his daughter Soraya, and their advisor Bartolmus. Uh, they kind of run the kingdom there. Uh, they couldn't get real close to them because the king's illness means he stays away from people, but they did get to see him across the room, yada, yada, yada. Uh, they got to spend the night there, invited to stay. They're very excited to see them. Uh, that first night, Princess Soraya managed to sneak and speak with Petal and Kip. Let them know that they need to go. Their lives were in danger, but they chose to stay anyways. And that night, they were attacked by some type of shadowy creatures uh, that almost killed Ram uh, and had given them dreams, and in those dreams, each one dreamed of a loved one basically trying to kill them and, and telling them they're horrible or they're weak and they should let themselves go and did not fight against it. Um, and uh, uh, Maeve had dreamed of her father, and uh, Artis had dreamed of her mother, Kip had dreamed of something, he loved one, his mother, some back in the day, he doesn't go into a lot of detail about that, but his mother, so on and so forth. Petal did not have a dream. But Ran was very disturbed by the events, especially since, you know, he almost died. But he never really talked about what he dreamed about, though it seemed to bother him greatly. They proceeded to seek out, uh, while they're in the castle, they found weird goings-ons. There were the guards that were posted throughout the place. Never seemed to move. They were alive, but they never seemed to move. No one ever talked. They didn't really see any servants as such, other than Brendan, who was kind of the, the head servant, who really is their go-between, took them everywhere, brought them food, they're fed well, things like that. They decided to stay and see if they could figure out what was going on. The next day, the princess uh, met with uh, Petal, Kip, and Ran again this time, who said that um, Bartolmus had a spell over the father and believed as the one responsible for the death of her stepmother, who uh, married the king when she was young, loved stepmother, but stepmother was a great person, but Bartolmus uh, didn't want the competition because the stepmother didn't trust him, Bartolmus being a mage. And so she died mysteriously soon after, and uh, uh, it's believed that Bartolomus has intentions to marry the young princess herself. She's in her early 20s, but he's like old and old and stuff. So still young to him. Uh, and then try to become the new king himself. So they went around, found some clues. And at one point they found this door that well, had guards around it. They weren't moving, but there were still guards in front of it. And Maeve, who can sense evil in specific... It's part of her being a paladin, a minotaur paladin, could sense evil behind that door coming from that direction. They also found out that there was a tower on the backside of the castle 
where royal prisoners or, or noble prisoners and things like that were kept. And they sensed maybe there was something going on up there as well. So after all was said and done, they decided they were going to... They were tired of messing around. They were going to get out there and find out what was going on. And they kind of viewed it as they had two choices. They could go down and see the door, because the doors believed to either go down or into the mountain, just based on the layout of the castle. Or they could go to the tower, go up, and see what's up there. And they decided at the end of the last episode that they were going to go into the door where they knew they could sense evil because there's clearly something they don't even know if anybody's up in the tower but they know there's something wrong behind that door so they're going to start there and they started gathering they gathered all the gear and that's which way they headed the only little thing i didn't mention is pebble seems for some reason obsessed with the book that she found in the library which uh she was hesitant to leave there the last time that she left uh, but it seems to be very important to her though she has not told anyone what it is or why i haven't even told you I'm such a jerk. Okay. So that's where we left off. They gathered their gear. They gathered their weapons. They're like, we don't know if we're coming back to our rooms at this point. Enough of this playing around. We're going to go in there. We're going to find out what the evil is behind the door. And we're going to start dealing with whatever it is we were sent here to deal with. And that's where we left off. All right. So as always, there's going to be parts of reading. I'm going to start with a chunk of reading. And then I'll be doing some more freeform and back and forth as we move along. We'll begin with some reading. Midnight's excited. The young heroes moved through the castle unmolested. The ever-present unmoving guards still held their positions, and even though the halls were lit by torches, it still seemed unusually dark and heavily shadowed. So they're going down the hallways, there's torches lighting it up, but even the torches don't seem to be giving off as much light as they should. The guards aren't moving, they're just standing there as, pe- as these guys walk by them. Guards aren't saying anything. They moved forward fully armed, no longer hiding their intentions. Something evil was at work here, and they were determined to find it. So they got weapons in hand. They got their swords out. You could imagine you got these people, scary Minotaur and friends, walking down the hallway carrying huge weapons and such. A guard would have a problem with that, right? You don't just let people walk around armed, marching up and down your castle. Yet again, the guards are doing nothing to stop them or to do anything to even call out a problem or an issue. Completely almost ignoring that they're there. Finally, they approached the short hall with the barred doors. If you remember, they get to an end of a hallway and there's like a a 90 degree turn and there's just a short hallway with the big double doors. That's where they saw like the five guards in front of it. Rounding the corner, they found the same guards protecting the door unmoved from the day before. And I don't mean that they see more guards. They were careful to look. These are the exact same guards that were standing there five, six hours earlier, however long it was. In the exact same position, like they haven't moved. Maeve moved first, taking a step towards them. Even now she could sense the evil that lie beyond. At that step, the guards all drew their weapons, yet held their positions. Good, muttered Maeve. No more pretending. The hall was wide enough that both Artis and Ran were at her side. So she's got one on each side of her. Right? So Maeve's up front, kind of like a little arrowhead thing. She's up front with those two right next to her, flanking her sides. Uh, Both Artis and Ran were at her sides. Petal hung back, ready to release a spell if needed. And Kip stood at the rear, watching for anyone coming from behind them. So there's only one direction they can come from, right? It's a 90-degree hall. There's no intersection. 
So someone coming behind them would have to come up the long hallway that they just did. Uh, while Kip is more than capable of being a melee, Maeve and Ran are... Because Maeve... To or sorry. Artis toes that line between squishy and melee, right? Because she's a cleric, but she's a combat cleric. Uh, she's got some healing spells and stuff, but she will step in and bonk things with her Morningstar, just as her mom did, without any type of urging. She's happy to squish thine things that are evil. So Kip is the one who's chosen to kind of stay in the back and watch if anything's coming and, and call out an alert. As the battle began, the guards made no sounds and spoke no words. It was clear that they were trained, yet there was a wildness in the way that they fought. It felt that they were just the smallest bit slower than they should be. I want to explain that, right? They have training. They're moving with what you'd expect military fighting training. They may not be the most expert swordsmen, but they've clearly been trained to be soldiers. But even though the things they're doing are what you'd expect from a soldier, it's not in you know it's not as tight as you would expect. This wildness, like it's just it's go you know they, they instead of just going through their bigger carry through than they should. And when someone swings a sword, they're they're moving to block it, but there's like a tiny bit of hesitation where they're just a, a tiny bit slower than you would expect someone to move in that situation. Yes, they're armed uh, and armored, although they're not like heavy plate mail or anything like that. They're just standing there and probably leathers, maybe a little bit of chain. Um, but, you know, they're not heavy plate mail or anything like that. I want to I stress that. They're just guards. They're not knights or anything like that. Um, Ran was the first to deal a deadly blow, running through the soldier that faced him. Right, ran him right through. <clears throat> the man fell to his knees, but instead of you know, falling to the ground dead, his head fell back and his mouth opened in a barely audible shriek. Black smoke billowed from his mouth and nose, striking the ceiling until there was enough that the uh, enough of the smoke that it then turned into a humanoid form. As the dead man's body fell to the floor, the red-eyed shadow man crawled along the ceiling like an insect over the heads over their heads and passed Kip, moving down the hallway the direction that they came from. "What the hell's was that?" screamed Kip, startled. Don't know, replied Maeve, blocking a soldier's strike. But it's the same thing that attacked Ran. So it's the exact type of thing when she busted in the room and Ran was being choked by the shadow thing. That's exactly what she saw. The same type of figure with the red glowy eyes. So I want to draw that connection there. Maeve grabbed a soldier by the neck and raised him off the ground and then threw him heavily against the wall. The sound of bones cracking echoed through the hall. As the soldiers fell... Again, more shadow creatures escaped from their bodies, usually through their mouth and news, the screaming. Kip had been watching the first shadow man move away from them until it suddenly stopped and dropped from the ceiling in front of an unmoving guard. Kip was shocked to see the thing break into smoke once more, so less humanoid. It broke up more into like a cloud. And then it seemed as if the guard was breathing it in until all the smoke was gone. Then, drawing its sword... The guard began walking towards them. As more of the released smoke creatures moved over his head and down the hall, Kip turned to his friends. Guys, we have a problem. So they killed this dude, smoke thing came out, went down, climbed into the body of another unmoving soldier, and then that soldier started moving. It's like he woke up, drew his sword, turned, and starts walking. He's not running, but he's just walking towards them, ready to continue the fight. 
And now more of the smoke creature things are moving in the exact same direction, right? Towards more and more soldiers that line the halls. I've been quite clear that, well, it's not packed shoulder to shoulder. There are still a lot of them throughout the place. So if the other shadow creatures do the same thing, they have literally hundreds, potentially, of bodies with which to attack these guys uh, that they would have to fight through all of. Just a repetitious of over and overness. And you can see how that would be a problem in combat. So they managed to take out the last one. It's crawling. It's moving down the way. The thing's coming. It's not hurrying. It was a ways down the hall. But it's coming and they start checking to see what's going on. They rush to the door, move the bodies out of the way, and they find that the door is locked. Pedal does verify it's not magically locked, but it is locked. A key lock. Pretty big key. Doesn't appear that there's something, you know, like a wood behind it or anything. It's just a key lock. Now, Maeve takes a look at the door and thumps on it a little bit, and she's like, this is too big of a door. Like, I could probably take this door down eventually, but it would take a while, and we don't have that kind of time. They check the guards' bodies. Again, there's no key on any of them. Artist turns to Kip and says, Hey, can you get this open? He's done some lockpicking for them in the past. He has some lockpicking skill that they're aware of. Kip rushed over and takes a look at the lock. He pulls a little bundle of tools out of his belt and says, Yeah, I can do this, but I'm going to need a couple minutes. Rand put, taps him on, you know, pats him on the shoulder and goes, Then a couple minutes you shall have. And he and Artis... And Maeve now turn the opposite way. They go to the edge of that hallway towards these soldiers that are coming towards them to give Kip the time he needs to get the door unlocked. The first soldier is only a few feet away from them when Petal kind of elbows past. He goes, wait, wait, I got this, and begins casting a spell. Now, Petal's a kender, but she's a capable mage, and her friends are like, okay, they kind of make room for her, ready to do what they need to do, but they allow her the moment she needs to do it. And sure enough, she successfully casts a web spell. A web spell is exactly what it sounds like. It just fills the hallway up with very thick, sticky web that's very hard to cut through and takes time to cut through. So, big chunk of web fills up this hallway. And the first soldier's stuck in the middle of it, and the other ones that are getting up are having to cut to get through it. And they're not like all crazy speed. They're just chopping, trying to get through over time. This gives Kip the time he needs. And of course, they're staying there, waiting there if they need to, if somebody comes through and pedals ready with a magic missile if she's got to. But as they're fighting their way through the webs, they hear from Kip saying, got it! Maeve turns and walks over the door and with a heavy push, pushes it open. I'm sorry, pulls it open. Pulls it open. It makes sense. If you lock a door, you're going into someplace, you want to pull open for better defense. Push doors are easier to break in. It's a whole hinge thing. I'm just making you aware. So it pulls open. She manages to pull it open. It's stressful, but she gets it. They all quickly come inside. And Maeve pulls the door closed behind them. Now, they are happy to see that the door doesn't have me- does in fact have metal brackets bolted to it. And there's a big piece of wood over in the corner they can use to block the door down. Which is heavy for everyone but Maeve. She picks it up like it's a twig and just sets it in there. Uh, but it's a thick piece of wood and it's going to help bar that door. Even though they don't have the ability to relock the door. Um, so they do use that to bar the door so no one get through. And they can hear, after a minute or so, things will start banging on the door. But it is a very thick door, and they know it's going to take a while for five guys to try to break through it, if they even could. Because, again, there were five guys originally, five shadow 
dudes that came out of them, it's just still five every time. Then five more were coming. So it's not increasing. They're not breaking into twos or splitting into multiples. Each shadow's taking a new body each time. And it's a mixture between smoke and shadow. It seems to have the consistency of smoke. When you look at it, it looks more like a shadow. Hoping I'm describing that well enough that you're getting what I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to describe here. So they manage to get in there, they block the door, and they find that they're in a relatively small room, and there's room for them, of course, but the room itself is empty, except in the middle of, this, of the room, there's like a little bit of a, uh, like a, a guard around it, but there's a set of stairs that go down towards into what would be the direction of the mountain. So they were kind of right in both ways. It does go into the mountain, and it goes down. Um, and with that being the only other direction to go, they can start to hear the banging on the door behind them, time to get moving. And as Maeve starts working her way down, because she's in the front, normally you'd think you'd put Kip up front in this situation because he's the rogue. But in this situation, they don't know if they're gonna, Maeve, they're not as worried about traps as much as they're worried about something jumping out that Maeve needs to basically squish. She squishes things. She's a very squisher. Okay. So they go down the stairs probably for a good just two or three minutes, which we think about it is a long time. And they're not rushing. They're going cautiously, carefully, and prepared for everything. But they are taking their time going down the stairs, making sure things aren't popping out and such. And then ahead down ways, they can see that there is another set of doors. This one's much smaller. And the hallway is just big enough that Maeve can walk through it relatively comfy. She may have to occasionally duck a little bit, but she's not like all bent over or having to squat. It's, a, it's fair enough that she can get down the hallway. And she may have to duck a bit to get in the door. Again, trying to describe the whole picture to you. As they get closer to the door, they start moving quieter. There's no guards here. There's nothing on this side of the door other than the door itself. And they get down to it, and the door doesn't appear to have any type of locking mechanism on it. There's no keyhole or anything like that. No visible chains or anything like that at all. Um, and as they get close to the door, quietly, they can hear light sounds like talking or chanting through the door. Um, it is Petal and Kip who can hear it the clearest. Kip, half-elven and a rogue. Petal because of her also being a kender. So they can hear a little bit better than anyone else can. Though they can't make it out, and while it might sound magical, it does not ring as the as mage magic. It's not anything that uh, Petal recognizes in the words. So, at this point, they're like, well, there's not much else to do. Maeve is feeling crazy evil coming from behind that door. Time to go through that door. And without really any other options, they gather their weapons, and bust through the door. I say burst through, not bust. They didn't break the door, but they shove it open and come bursting through. Now, the second they step inside, they're assaulted by a horrific scene. Before they can even look around, Maeve and Artis are just awash with like a wave of nausea and sickness and weakness. And it's like, it's like, it's like literally something just sucking and draining the life from them kind of thing. They're not, but that kind of a feeling, it's not actually having your life sucked away from them, but it feels like that. And, and they can immediately tell that they've just walked onto consecrated ground. Not consecrated by a good God. So this is a, this is the, this is holy land of a dark God that they've just stepped upon. And as I've discussed many times, that is not good for someone of an opposite alignment who is not openly invited or given some type of token or pass item that would give them some relief from those. 
from those feelings and such. Because that can happen. You may not want a neutral god to come in, or a neutral cleric for whatever reason. You know, they still may work with evil. Uh, so that here's, a, here's a gem or a, a necklace or wear this ring, and while you're here, it won't be as bad. But while they are there, they lose all access to their spells. Okay? Yes, the spells are still in their head, but they can't connect with their god. That, that link is severed. And so they cannot cast spells on this grounds. Now what they see in the room is it is a round chamber lit with many, many candles. There are six men in black robes in this room. Five of them lining the room, looking towards the center of the room. All of them were the ones that chanting and they stopped when they came in. In the center of the room is an altar and laying upon it is a man fully naked. Standing next to him is the sixth robed gentleman, uh, whatever, who appears to have a very uh, uh, wiggly dagger uh, and appears to be cutting or carving into the man. Um, all of them there, easily recognizing the marks, uh, markings on the robe and such, can tell that these six men are clerics of Elizon, god of darkness. Uh, just, you know what I mean? Just like you see a cleric walk in who's cleric of the light, the symbols and the such, you can tell by the color and the lining and the designs and the whatever. This is just straight up, this is the god of darkness. Which, oddly enough, as he is the primary evil god, is one god we've not really ever messed with in Merged Worlds. So, immediately, the five clerics that were around the room reach and draw out weapons. Uh, several have scimitars, a couple have curved blades like the uh, your wiggly daggers, uh, wiggly daggers like the guy in the middle did, and they all come rushing forward to attack, And uh, except for two of them that begin try casting some spells. Our heroes, of course, have to rush in and do the same thing. As much as nauseous and stuff, Mave is still a powerhouse, and Artist has her ability. While they don't have spells, they still have their personal skills and their training to work with. Um, Ran and Kip and Petal are completely unaffected by the by the ground. It doesn't hurt them at all. Uh, and I say it's not the dirt specifically. I mean, you can't pick up the dirt and throw it, and now that area is consecrated. It's it's an area that has been blessed by that god or it's the followers of that god. So. Petal has no problem with spells. So she immediately starts whipping out a magic missile or two at the ones that are casting spells as well. And Ran and Kip, they actually move a little bit quicker than Maeve and Artis because they're not feeling that nauseous, slow-me-down, make-me-sick feeling. And they rush in as well. And, and basically, melee begins. Um, this fight is more challenging than the one that they just went through upstairs because... Uh, these things don't have any of that slowness we talked about. These are regular dudes who are cursing them and casting spells and such. There's nothing that gives these guys the feel that they're like the ones upstairs, right? They don't have that feeling like something's inside controlling them. These are just evil pricks, and they're doing prickly things. Not prickly. Well, maybe prickly. So as they get in there and they're doing the fights... Um, Petal's able to cast a couple of her spells, which isn't much of an issue. Now, within just a few minutes of the combat, it's actually the heroes that start to take a little damage first. Because these clerics, while may not be super powerful in spells, they have some. Uh, they're well-trained still. You can still be trained as a, as a combat. And uh, you can use a blade if you're a, 
uh, scimitars specifically and daggers if you follow Elizon. So very quickly, there is uh, Maeve get, takes a big hit. She's moving a bit slower than she normally does. And she ends up getting stabbed in the leg. Chris Dagger, thank you, Michael. I could not think of the blade for nothing. It's a Chris blade. You are 100% correct. I was struggling. <laughs> and I own them. I have some. I knew the name of them. I just couldn't think of it. Thank you very much, Michael. A Chris Blade is the type of curvy, sacrificial dagger, snake blade that you normally would see in a movie and such. So that's what the, the guys are wielding. Again, thank you, Michael. Um, so, let's see. Where was I left off? I skipped off. There we go. So, Maeve gets stabbed in the leg. May being Meg gets very angry about this and backhands the guy who did it, who just, his head goes snapping backwards and he does like a flip and lands on his back. Um, Ran and Artis are next to each other at this point and Artis moving slower as she is ends up taking a big cut as well. There's a big cut almost across her stomach. Um, and the guy moves in to get another one. Ran quickly moves in and intercedes and just takes the guy's head off. Clean cut, because the guy was fighting artists. He wasn't looking at Rand. But for Rand to do that, he has to leave himself open to the guy that he was fighting. Um, and that puts Rand in a bad spot, where Rand ends up taking a huge cut down his side. Like The guy even stabs in a bit and cuts down with it. So just a big, deep gash in Rand's side. Um, at which point, artist, you know, Rand recovers and artist comes in to help them, but they're bleeding. They're actually taking some damage here. But slowly, over the couple minutes of the combat, artists and friends start to make up for what they're having. They're starting to take them out. Um, another one tries to cast this, but the spells that they seem to be casting uh, the evil clerics were to benefit the clerics. The equivalent of a bless spell, which, if in Dungeons and Dragons terms, gives you, as uh, if it's being cast on you, better chance to hit, more damage, things of that, maybe even some resilience. So it makes their warriors better, which is another reason why, out of the gate, they started taking some big hits with the negatives they were already feeling. Blessed spells are great and drastically overlooked. Um, let's see. So the guy who ran was cut him real deep, and he turns and he's you know, blocking the fight, blocking the blade again, but Rand's from that cut a little bit slow on that side, um, and the cleric uses that as an opportunity to try to get in yet another cut in the same area, uh, but a burst of light in his face, the man stumbles back screaming, because that's what happens when you get magic missiles in the face. And Petal, seeing Rand in trouble, unleashed a magic missile and just right in the face of this cleric. And the cleric's like, ah, because that's damage, right? He steps back, and when he does that, that gives Rand the opening to run the man through. A lot. It takes several minutes, and they take a few injuries, but they are able to successfully kill all six of the clerics. Um, artists can see that these clerics are not high-level clerics. They're very, very low. Um, grunt work, if you would. But they still have their skills. Um... Of course, at this point, they make their way to the man on the altar, who they are horrendously shocked to find is still alive. 
uh, even though it appears that he's been partially disemboweled and his body's been cut open in different locations, and there's different runes and sigils that have been carved into his flesh as well. Uh, the man seems like he is still alive, though barely. It's uh, almost like keeping him alive through it all is part of the spell that they were casting, uh, because he had to be alive to go through all of this. Um, they immediately you know, look to see, is this something we can heal? Well, Artis has no heal spells right here. Um, and it doesn't take but one glance to know you're not picking this guy up. Uh, his body just can't handle that. And sure enough, his life starts to fade and he's about to die. But before he does, he managed to gasp out a few words. And the words he said is, save her. And the word, tower. He barely able to speak it. Luckily, the artist was close enough to hear him gasp it out. But the word, save it, and tower, and then he dies. Which is sad, of course. They don't know who he is. They look, they don't recognize him. It's no one that they've met in the castle so far, or anyone outside of the place. He's an unknown man to them. So they search the rest of the room. Is there anything they can find? They find some magical stuff. Not like loot, but they find the stuff you would use for casting spells. Some spell components, you know, incense, chalk, so on and so forth, miscellaneous powers. Uh, being as where it is and what it is, uh, no one's touching it. No one's taking any of that with them. Even petals like that. Yeah, some of that's decent spell components, but I'm not taking anything from this place. There's, there's too much corruption on that. I, I don't want bringing that into my own spells. So we're, gonna, we're leaving everything here that we find. None of them had anything of value and nothing that identified them as a person, uh, as a, who they were or what, other than the fact that they were wearing the robes that they were. So with nothing else to do and no place else to go down here, their only option is to go back upstairs. They make their way up to the upper room again, and they can still hear the banging on the door, though it doesn't sound any greater than it was before. It doesn't sound like there's drastically more people there than there was originally. Sounds like the same group of guys banging on the door, and, and there's no calling out, there's no words, they're not speaking in any way. But the door is still sturdy as hell, and it hasn't made any move towards being broken or damaged, at least from the side that they can see. This gives them a moment to kind of talk about what's going on. Okay, we've, we've disguised shadow guys, we went down and killed those. Dead man says, save her in the tower, and they determine that it's very likely that the princess is being kept in the tower. Makes 100% sense. They found out about the tower right around the same time. They found out the princess was sick and not able to attend them. Uh, and Bartimus made that jab about warning her about being, you know, wandering the halls. Um, so at this point, they're pretty confident that the princess is up in the tower and they need to save her. Now, they had discussed this ahead of time when they were decided to go downstairs and through this area. They part, part of the reason they chose this first is also because the tower's location... From everywhere that they've been in the castle, the only way they could see to get to the tower would require them to go through the throne room. The way the castle is built and the way that it's set, that's built behind it. And they found no other hallways in all their little adventures that would lead them around or behind the throne room. Uh, so to their understanding, at this point, the only way they have of getting through to the tower is to go through the throne room. Um, so they say, okay then, that's what we're going to do. So they have to start making... They're going to have to go through these doors, get through these five guys, and then these five guys, and then these five guys, and then fight all the way to get to the 
throne room, but there's not a lot of other options. They don't know any other way. They only have a basic knowledge of the layout, and they sure as hell don't want to get lost up in here and just end up pulling more and more possessed guys. Right? Hopefully that makes sense. So with nothing else to do, Maeve goes ahead and tosses lightly and very easily. So much so that when that she kicks that log and flips it off the door and just tosses it to the corner. And it's one of those things where um, for like Ran and Kip, Maeve and Artist, Ran and Kip, they, they see her take this thing and just toss it like it's nothing. And they're like, God, to be that strong, right? Because they're warriors types too, right? They're in melee combat. They're like, God, if I could just pick that up and throw it. It would take both of us together to lift the stick. Maeve grabs it with one hand and just tosses it away like it's nothing. Um, there's always that little bit of envy from the... Not like in a bad way, but that little envy like, God, I wish I had even half of her strength. What could I be able to do if I had that? So it's it, very often when she does stuff like this, you'll see Rand and Kip look at each other like, damn it. <laughs> the shared look of, mm, okay, let's go, you know. They're trying to push on the door. She kicks it in all by herself. Like I was that little shared look of them. Like they understand. Fuck! Why can't we do that? You know, just that, that little bit of a side thing there. So they go ahead and throw the doors open. Because remember, it's a pull door. <laughs> These guys really weren't trying to pull it. It's a pull door. Throwing the doors open, they go. The five guys go skittering back, or not, falling backwards or whatever. But then again, stand back up, preparing to fight. No one's seriously injured by the door coming open. Even though Maeve gave it a good sturdy kick. They begin fighting these guys and trying to get to the throne room. And what I just discussed is exactly what happens. Every time they've managed to kill one of the soldiers, the shadow leaves its body and it's incorporeal. They can't hurt it. They swing at the shadows. Their swords and stuff go right through it. Now, if you'll remember, Maeve had her spell, her, her bless holy light spell that she used that kind of pissed one off way back when it was trying to kill Ran and it fled out the window. It had an effect, but she only gets to do that once. And so she doesn't want to blow that right here, not knowing what they're going to face. So at this point, they're just trying to make their way along. After several minutes, well, five, ten minutes, of just constant combat, killing a dude and another one walking down the hallway towards them, because again, they're walking towards all these guards. And they know they're going to have to pass at least 40 or 50 of them just to get to the throne room. They haven't made much progress in this time. You know, it's it's if they can take a bunch of them out at once, they get an extra minute or two while the other ones are slowly walking, just casually, not turtle slow, but casually walking towards them until melee begins with the next one again. It's about then that Petal has an idea. And she calls out to her friends, What if we don't kill them? Maeve, and it's a minor lull here, and they're looking at each other, and what are you talking about? How, if we don't kill them, they're going to kill us. And she goes, yeah, don't kill them. Just slow them down. Maeve looks at Artis, and Artis looks at Maeve, and Maeve goes, worth a try. And as a soldier's coming in, she parries up high. The guy's sword goes up, and then she goes down low and just whoosh, straight across and nubs this guy. Cuts both of his legs off, clean at the knee. Again, I cannot stress enough that the sword that Maeve uses was specifically made, highly crafted by her father for her. It is of expert, expert design and build. Uh, it is, it, it itself is probably worth a small keep. Uh, 
if not a small kingdom. It's it's many would kill to have it, though few would be able to even use it. You add onto that the blessing spells and things that she's done, just being a paladin. On top of that, the sword will cut through a person if it needs to very quickly. So sure enough, she cuts both the legs off this guy, and he falls to the ground, and his sword falls out of his hand. And she sees him reaching for his sword, and he finally picks it up, and he's coming over towards him, trying to swing the sword at their ankles. But the smoke doesn't come out. It doesn't flee through his now nubs of legs. It doesn't come out of his mouth or anything like that. The body still continues to try to fight. And they take this as a positive. Okay, maybe they're stuck in there until we kill them. I don't know if they can leave if they want to. Let's try that. So now the fight changes a little bit. When you are fighting against someone who's trying to kill you, and you're not trying to kill back, you're at a negative. You are literally holding back in ways. So you're holding back what could be clearly killing blows, looking for a maiming or injuring blow. So that can slow down combat. Um, and even if you're playing D&D, you can call out, hey, I'm trying to hurt someone and not kill them. At least in the way that we play Dungeons Dragons in my parties, if you don't want to kill someone, you want I want to hit him with the flat of my sword. I want to do this. It's harder. Still carrying a sword, it's got a sharp edge, and this is a moving person. But if you're trying to hurt someone or injure them in a specific way, it's more difficult to do. But it turns out it gets easier. Because each time that they take someone down and cut off a leg, cut off an arm, you know, they don't knock unconscious. They're kind of staying away from the head because that'll most things done to the head will kill you. But they're really trying to just do that. Injure people, harm them in a way that won't kill them but would slow them down. And sure enough, as they do that, they're walking down the hallway with more and more half of people following them. Until finally they get through the five smoke dudes again and no more smoke has come out of any of the bodies. But, you know, there's just things with one arm or two arms or one leg, you know, trying to come after them, but incapable of walking is kind of the big thing, or hard, more difficult to wield a weapon. Um, and it successfully works. This allows them to get past them and move forward, and none of the other guards that they pass draw weapons or try to stop them in any way. So after a minor slowdown, they manage to fight through and get past that. Um, they start moving their way past, and They've got a good distance on the guards now, so they can go a little bit slower. They're not like hard paced. They're making way. Rand stops for a minute. And they're all kind of looking at Rand, and Rand pulls up, a, pulls out a knife, and he walks up and he's looking at one of the guards, and he just reaches up and slits the dude's throat, and the body's like, whoa, 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 and just falls and hits the ground. And Art's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Every one of these we leave is another one we're going to have to fight to get back out of here." I, I can't be sure that that's thing. We can't just leave all these things standing here. And I was like, these are innocent people. And Rand's like, I'm pretty sure they're not people at this point. Uh, I think we're, you know, they're husks. They're shells, if nothing else, being used. So Artis isn't happy about it, but Maeve has to look at him and be like, and Kipper, like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. So sure enough, as they start making their way through, they don't have time to stop and kill everyone, but on occasion, yeah, they're, if there's several of them close together, they take the time to permanently incapacitate some of the guards that are standing there. Although artists, again, not real happy about it. Finally, though, after traveling up the pass, the ways they make, they make it to the doors of the throne room. 
Entering the throne room, the young heroes were not surprised to see the king upon his throne, or Bartimus standing at his side. You will not be allowed to stop what has been done here. My hard work will not be wasted, screams Bartimus. To the left and right, they could see that five soldiers on each of the walls. Five on each total, so ten total, covering with that. These soldiers all move and draw their weapons. So that's ten guys ready here to fight. I will not have my reward snatched away by the likes of you, Bartimus yelled again. You will all die, except you, little petal. I have other plans for you. Bartimus licks his old withered lips disgustingly. Oh, hell no, said Maeve, as the soldiers begin to rush in. So now they're fighting ten more of the same type of things they just had to deal with, with the only benefit of they don't see any other guards standing here. Right? So the room itself, much like the hallways, lit by torches. They can see the balcony overhead past the king. There's the balcony behind them. There's the big glass ceiling, the stained glass ceiling kind of thing. And it's a stone building with wood logs and rafters and such like that, right? Big open space, but they don't see... Well, there's a large amount of the room that's in shadow, if you will. They can't see because of the darkness. But the room is not lit as well as you think it should be from the torches. And again... This is now not surprising to them when they know that the god of darkness is involved with this. Light is being limited, if not snuffed out. And would also make sense why, if there is something or someone of that kind of power here um, that worships that, could definitely see how that could be affecting Quintius, who up until now has been silent since they reached the keep. No word from him at all to Artis. Jim Cooper says, Jafar sounds gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, let's pull up a picture of him again real quick. Boop, there he is. Bartlemus. Isn't he a lovely gentleman? For, for those of you who may be listening on audio podcast, uh, there are little miniatures painted digitally uh, on the website. You can go to onlydraven.com to see the miniatures of all the little people that I'm talking about. Uh, I, I, I paint those on uh, Hero Forge and post those up so people can see who I'm talking about. So the fight begins. Um, Ten guys rush in, right? So you can imagine they're going to get kind of flanked here, right? It's hard to defend against ten people. There's five of them, and they've got to keep pedal in the middle. Although, it doesn't really seem like any of the guards are actively trying to harm pedal at this point. So the soldiers start coming in and they start fighting. Right off the bat, they know they have to make a, they have to they have to get it they have to do something right off the bat to try to start evening this out. So Maeve and Ran specifically just hardcore burst to try to speed take one down. And working together, literally together, managed to drop two of the guards within just the first few seconds. These ones do not appear any better trained than the ones they fought before. There's still that minor bit of slowness and hesitation that at this point, they've figured out how to use that kind of against them. So two of them hit the ground almost immediately. While they turn to face more, because again, they're being encircled by the remaining eight, again, the bodies 
release the smoke of the fi- of the ghost figures. And these figures kind of rush off to where the guards were into the shadows and then just kind of disappear. All right? So two more shadow figures pop out. They're a little bit smaller than a human at this point. There's even the shape of little wings on their back. If you get them in the right light, little nubby wings that obviously look too small for them to fly with. But they go rushing off one to each side and they go into the shadows and at least currently do not return. Petal, for her place, decides she's going to try to help out here and knowing that while these guys are the threat, there are bigger threats in the room. And she starts casting what few spells she has that are damaging spells. She starts targeting Bartlemus and begins with a classic and throws some magic missiles his way because she's unsure what he's going to be doing. If he's controlling them, maybe that would help. She's not sure. Now, you can imagine Bartlemus was expecting something like this. So as the streaks of magic come bursting in, they hit what appears to be a magical shield of some kind that flickers and then fades when being hit. At the same time, several more warriors drop, although, um, who is it? I'm sorry. Oh, Maeve takes another, takes another big hit while she's trying to take out two more. The battle itself only goes on for five or six minutes, which, that doesn't sound like that long, but when you're constantly moving in armor and wielding weapons and swinging around and trying to stay alive while getting nicked here and there, five minutes is a long time. Don't believe me? Go watch a fight scene. Go watch a fight scene with somebody with a sword. And after five minutes, most fights don't last a whole lot longer than that. If they're in armor, anyways. So, the the fighters start to drop, although our heroes do take a few hits here and there. Uh, Nothing major, uh, although Ran is still kind of nursing the big cut on his side. Artis had slapped one heel on it in the hallway, but he he was like, that's enough, I can move at this point, we don't know what's coming ahead. Let's save what few healing spells you have in case one of us gets something worse. What you've healed is enough to let me keep going. I can fight again, but there's still going to be some pain and such there. Uh, while the skin may have uh, slightly you know, closed, it still looks pink and raw, uh, and it would not be hard to reopen that with a very minor cut. Um, but they're relatively successful. And they're down to the last two. At this point, Artis has stepped back preparing to be able to cast a, spe- a healing spell on Maeve, because she sees Maeve taking the other hit. And while Maeve and uh, Maeve and Ran and Kip are taking on these last two, Kip and Ran working together while Maeve's on the other guy. And it's at this point that Bartimus decides to cast a spell of his own. Petal sees that he's casting a spell, but can't tell what spell. She's not knowledgeable about that. Or she can't tell just from seeing his lips move. It's a spell that she clearly doesn't know. When all of a sudden, about that time, a ball of flame erupts from his hands, hurtling towards the group and the two soldiers that were still there. Seeing it coming, they all try to, you know, brace for cover. The soldiers don't. It's coming from behind them. But even maybe them turn and trying to brace themselves and such, hold up their shields, right? Because Artis uses a shield. Uh, Ran does not use a shield. Kip can, but he's not currently. Petal doesn't have any shield. And while Maeve can, most of the time she's dual two-handed. So she does not currently. So really only the shield right now is Artis, which she uses to try to cover for her and Petal, to pull her behind it. It's a, it's a small shield. It's more protecting their heads. 
The flame actually ends up hitting the soldiers first, causing it to ignite, and a, a wash of flame just bursts over all of them, knocking everybody to the floor. The soldiers take a big brunt of it, burst into flame, and as their bodies burn and crumble, again the smoke creatures escape and run off into the shadows. No new ones come out, I have to stress that. Everybody takes damage. Um, Maeve, you know, being covered in hair, uh, takes some of the most amount of damage. She's also the largest, it makes sense. But she takes some of the most damage. Uh, she's badly burned in multiple minutes to cover her face, but the back of her arms and her side where she turned to try to block the flame gets hit real bad. She's having to put the fire out and such. Uh, Rand, same kind of situation on his side where he's trying to block uh, and Kip, same situation. So they, They're all burned and putting the fire out, but they've all taken a considerable amount of damage. I can say that of everything all of them have been through since the second these guys have entered into an adventure since they were kids, this is the most amount of damage any of them have ever had to deal with at once. Fireballs are no joking manner. 66. Just saying. It's a lot of damage. It's a lot of D6s. Potentially more down the road, too. So. As injured as they are, Artist does quickly cast a heal spell, which she was planning to do anyways. So she got at the forefront of her thoughts. Instead of putting it on either herself or Petal, who have taken the least amount of damage, although they took some, she does cast it on Maeve. Maeve was already the most injured at that point. Um, and she quickly goes over to Maeve and, and heals her. Maeve also has her own healing power and at this point, with no other option, has to use it herself, which is her own lay on hands, which she can basically place on herself and heal herself. This heals her up quite a bit, but it also takes out the two biggest healing spells that the party has at this point. And she's still injured. It just helped a lot. Ran and Kip, though, have a little bit more damage now, uh, as they have not yet received a heal. You cannot win, laughs the wizard mockingly. For each of my shadows you free, another vessel awaits. Some even more strong than others. Isn't that right, your majesty? King Keldred rose from his throne. While his body still appeared thin and wasted, he moved with a strength unexpected. From beside the sword... Or sorry, beside the throne, he drew a large two-handed sword. Kill them, Barlamus commanded, as the king began walking towards them. Now, the king looks like a thin, kind of wasted dude. I talked about that. Got a little bit of a belly on him, but his face and looked gaunt and the illness and such. Begins walking towards him with this big two-handed sword. Big one. For Maeve, probably one-handed, but for a regular human, it's even large for a two-handed sword. And he comes marching towards him. And he's holding it very well, uh, professionally. Like, he clearly knows what he's doing. That's his sword. And he's marching towards them. As they have to step forward and enter into battle with King Keldred, right? Again, this is a story, but we're viewing it from a Dungeons & Dragons point of view, right? At this point, you've got Maeve, Ran, and Kip. Or Man, Ran, and Artis again. Your front three. With Kip, 
kind of close to Ran, ready to jump in and help when he needs to, as such, in melee, especially if things flank, uh, with Petal in the back. While the king is walking towards them confidently, and they're preparing to fight the king, none of them can escape the fact that the room is now on fire. That was a fireball. Wooden tables, old tapestries, wooden beams. I very carefully described how there was wood holding up the stone. There's a lot of flammable things. Rugs, carpets. I've I've described these things thoroughly in the past and they visited in here and such. So there's a lot to burn. And even though a castle may be made primarily out of stone, it's not hard to burn one down. And many of the things that are up there are very old, even these tapestries, and not as well cared for as they would have been in a normal castle situation. So very quickly, the room starts to burn. So that's all going around the room, and even though the flames are growing and such, the room doesn't appear to be getting much brighter. There's still plenty of shadows, although if anything, the shadows are a little bit weirdo, and they're kind of dancing and such, right? Because, you know, it makes shadows flicker. But the room doesn't get any brighter, even with the increase in flames. As they enter into combat with King Keldred, very quickly they learn he's not like the other ones. He is very fast. Way faster than he should be, considering he's using a big two-handed sword, and he looks very gaunt. Um... He, is, he moves with the speed of a young man who's very uh, well-trained and experienced and in good health. So he's not, not unnaturally fast. I don't want to say he's zipping around like a freaking vampire or anything like that. No. Uh, he, he's just moving as someone who he would be much younger in his prime, if you will. And he's also strong. And in that situation, he does seem to be a bit stronger than he should be, even if he was in his prime. When he's hitting, when Maeve is parrying a blow, Maeve is grunting. It's, it's a strong blow. Uh, not something she has to deal with very much when not fighting against another Minotaur, which she has sparred with Minotaurs many times. And he's moving with, again, uh, less of the chaotic attack style, but definitely more with the training of someone who has fought against uh, m- multiple opponents in the past. So a guy who's used to fighting more than one person. While these, this fight is going on, Bart is trying. Bart, uh, Bartolomus is trying to cast in the back some more spells. While at the same time, Petal quickly throws out a magic missile of hers, which this time actually hits him. So he had to drop the shield to cast his own spell, and you can't just cast another shield right back to back like that. It's not that easy. So she manages to interrupt his spell with a magic missile, which I don't know. I guess maybe he just wasn't really focused on that. He's focusing on the the guys who are actually doing the damage per se, and it draws his attention to her puts him into a spot, because now he's got to try to fight her. Does he fight to kill? Or does he not? Not a lot of magic spells that maim or knock you unconscious that would be as effective in this group. Uh, Because again, depending, it could even affect Keldred, right? Who knows? Would a sleep spell affect Keldred? They don't know what Keldred is or how he's affected. But the mage knows, of course, so he has to be careful what he casts. So Petal and Bart end up casting some spells. And Bartimus' spells, uh, maybe some magic missiles, but he appears to be kind of pulling some punches and more than anything else, just trying to do some weakening of her without killing her. He has thoughts. And while that's going on, the melee fighting is going on. Now, a couple times they've tried to 
maybe get past the king. And they probably could if they just wanted to run wide. But if they try to just carefully slip out, the king is doing a good job, and he has a very long reach with that huge sword, of keeping them all in combat. And he's moving fast enough that it takes all of them to fight him. He's very, very well, uh, fighting very, very well. So the king is keeping them from moving forward. It's in this moment of fighting that an opening kind of pops up that, based on its location, Rand deflects. It'd be a perfect spot for Kip to swing at him, but Kip doesn't. And with a quick look, Rand looks, and Kip is not there. In fact, quick glance around, he doesn't see Kip at all. He doesn't have time to yell anything out, but around the room, he doesn't see where Kip went. But Kip is no longer fighting beside him. Uh, this page. This page. Here we go. Finally, though, their efforts are rewarded. There still are now three competent melee fighters uh, and with just as good, if not better, weapons. And sure enough, eventually, the king takes a serious wound himself. Uh, Maeve is able to literally cut him rather sharply across the stomach while Rand comes in and stabs him kind of under the arm where it comes out like his back a bit. So it didn't go through his heart or anything, but it did go under his arm through his side note through the back. Two very big blows that would take the average man down. But not so much King Keldred. Keldred staggers back for a moment and his mouth opens as if to scream at them. And three of the shadow humanoids come running from the shadows. Where they've been this whole time because they didn't know where they went come running, two from one side, one from another. And they run at the king, and as they jump out towards him, they bust into smoke, and he just breathes them in. And as he does, he begins to get bigger. Now, I want to stress, he's not getting taller. He is not becoming a bigger version of himself. He's getting bigger, like someone put more air in a balloon. The gaunt skin starts to tighten out. He ends up starting to get thicker and bigger. And, well, yeah, it's not just like bulbous fat. I mean, but he definitely gets thicker in that way. Yet, it doesn't seem to be slowing down. His moves are just as quickly and he's just as strong. In fact, maybe a little bit stronger. With no choice, again, they have to continue fighting Keldred, who at this point, it's almost like those two wounds did nothing to him. The fight continues. Several minutes go on. Barbs are traded back and forth. At this point, pedals out of, doesn't uh, Kirby. <laughs> Jim asks Kirby. Yeah, he's getting fatter. I mean, for sure. I mean, that's definitely a good way of looking at it. Uh, if if I was to relate this to a movie, uh, this first this, when it happened, maybe a little bit like in Men in Black, where Vincent D'Onofrio character is. Like wearing the bugs wearing a suit of him, so he looks kind of bulbous, like something underneath, but the skin's not all right, like it's wrinkly in the wrong spots, like there's something too big inside of that body than's supposed to be there. Uh, but Kirby's not quite as round, but great idea. He doesn't hail him the same way though. That's very accurate. <laughs> so they start fighting again. Some are traded now. Pedal is running low on attack spells. Gotta remember these guys have competent, but they're not super high leveled at this point. Right? 
So she only has so many spells. She's used the majority of what she has that would be combat-based. Because she got other spells that aren't combat-based that aren't going to help right now. Bartlemus seems to be coming into the kind of the same situation. Whereas he may have spells, but the spells he has left that are damaging would do a lot of damage, and he seems hesitant to do so. For whatever reason, I don't know. Once again, Ran manages to run the king directly through in the stomach, and as he pulls him out, little bits of blood and gore and stuff plop out. You know, a little bit of stomach, uh, intestine things. It's a big cut. The kind of cut that would kill a man. And yet four more shadows come running in, two from each side, busting into smoke, being absorbed by the king through not just his mouth and nose, but now into the wounds themselves, almost kind of like they're plugging him. And now the body is super stretched out. It's definitely, at this point, looking drastically fattened. Because his head's not really getting bigger other than it's getting a little, you know, little chunkier. Top of his head's the same. So he's absorbing this. And it's like, literally, he's, he's, he took a, a, a Stretch Armstrong, or one of them stretchy dolls, and filled it up with air. And it's just, you know, the arms and feet are the same size, but the, the rest of the body's getting too fat. If that makes sense. Hopefully it does. He's absorbed four more. There's seven... Spirits in there at this point. They're smoke monsters or shadow creatures, whatever you want to call them. I know what they are. But I'm just being vague because you don't. Very sneaky that way. The fight continues. The king still, even in this form, is not any slower and yet seems to be even stronger. And at this point, Maeve is hard-pressed to block his blows. Yet she's having to block most of them. Because Ran... Or Maeve would have, or Ran or Artis would have a hard time blocking a blow like that. Artis does take one across the shield, and her whole arm starts to go numb from the bracelet. Hi, Buffy. I got a kitty visiting me. Hello. They realize that there's not much else they can be done. They have to take the king down. I don't know why Buffy's chewing on a wrapper. Okay, sorry. My cat just took my attention. I gotcha. So. At this point, they just literally go into hacking mode. Like, Maeve is trying to fight him, but Ran and, and, and Artis are just trying to damage him as much as possible. Uh, even if it's a whole lot of smoking. They're not looking for the good stab in a heart or shoot for the one single killing blow you'd expect. Because it doesn't seem to kill him. So now they're just trying to do as much damage to flesh and skin, whatever they can. And successfully, they start hacking at him. No serious blow is dealt, no major wound, but as the king starts to get hacked up and chopped in such in different ways, and again, you got to imagine, Artis is using a blunt weapon. It has little nubs of spikes on it, but it's not as good as a sword. It becomes a little bit hard to do so. The final three shadows come in and, get into the, and jump into the king. The king at this point is just a bulbous, blob-like creature that still is swinging a sword around. But finally, the body is so big that it does start to affect its ability to move. And it is getting slower. I need you guys to give me just one quick second. Here's some treats. Sorry. Buffy was looking for treats. Had to feed the cat. <laughs> Sorry. Try not to do that during these streams. Um, so, <laughs> fat guy. So, bulbous, gross, like this. No. So, he is getting to move slower. But... 
the damage that they're dealing against the skin and the flesh and cutting them across the stomach and such is just so much blue there. It's like cutting a tree. Little pieces come out. It doesn't really have an effect on the tree. It's, it's not enough to kill a guy who is whatever he is. At this point, he's heavily bloated to the point that he looks like he might even pop. They, po- they poke him, though, and draw blood. He doesn't actually pop. The king makes a mighty swing for Maeve. It's all Maeve can do to deflect the hit. In fact, her arms ring sore. It hits it so hard. But there's an opportunity there. And Rand takes it. Moving as quickly as he can, he swings with his sword and cuts off the king's hand. The king, more surprised than anything else, angry if you will, does drop his sword. It's a two-handed sword, and his body's bulbous, and you can barely hold it as it is. You cut one off, and the sword falls from his hand. Maeve makes no time at all, and swinging her sword as hard as she possibly can, swings it towards the king's head. Now, about that time, there's movement from the shadows, from behind where Bartimus is standing. Bartimus has appears to make a decision, begins casting a spell. And Petal has that, uh-oh, kind of look on her face. She begins casting yet another spell. This one seemingly much, much stronger. But the move from the shadow breaks, shadows breaks into a physical form. And Kip slips from the shadows from behind the wizard. Quickly moving forward, at the same moment, running his sword through the back of Bartimus, his blade piercing through the wizard's chest. In the same moment, Maeve's blade cuts deeply through the king's head. Not neck. You can't get to the neck. But literally through the head. Cleaving it in two. Top part of his head coming clean off. And as it does, the king's body falls to its, I guess, kind of what's left of knees. And the shadows just begin spewing forth through the opening of his head. Spinning above him, almost like a shadowy cyclone. And as they do, they begin to no longer appear to be multiple different shapes, but be combining into a single one. As the shadows began to combine, they saw it begin to form into one large, monstrous shape. Maeve almost fell to her knees as she was struck with a wave of great evil emanating from it. Suddenly, Artis heard a voice in her mind. Now, Artis, it is time. Artis acted immediately, dropping her shield. She quickly used her free hand to pull Quintius from her belt. Raising the powerful artifact before her, she began to speak words that she did not know and that she would not remember later. She felt a powerful force move through the scepter and her own body, the essence of light itself. A blast of pure light exploded from Quintius, 
filling the entire chamber. No one could see, blinded by the holy light, yet they could all hear the scream of the great shadow beast as it was ripped apart, with no shadows left in which to flee. After a moment, the light finally faded, and the room returned to normal, although the flames on the wall caused the shadows to dance around them. Because the room is still on fire. I have to stress that. It's more on fire than it was before. It is moving up the beams into the rafters. They all stepped to Kip, who stood beside a dying Bartlemus. The mage was covered in his own blood as his life faded from him. No, he choked. She was to be mine. Was promised. His hand reached up into the air as if grasping for someone. Forgive me. His arm fell to the floor as he died. There was a moment of silence, and then from above them, they heard a feminine voice. No, said Princess Soraya. You have failed me. Again they all grabbed their weapons and look up to the balcony above, for it was Soraya Bartlemus was reaching out to. Standing there is the princess, looks quite unhappy. In her usual dress, she's not wearing what she normally does, instead she wears fine robes, in which also they can see symbols of the god of Elizon, god of darkness. I must admit I have not expected this. I did not foresee your arrival, nor that you would have something like that with you, she says, staring down specifically at Quintius. It was you? yelled Petal up at the princess. Why? Why the games? I was unsure of your power, she replies. And it is clear that I underestimated you. A mistake, I promise, I will not make again. Still, all is not lost. Only my great lord has seen what is truly to come. What has once passed may not be allowed to pass again. But there is still time. The game is far from over. princess then chuckles evilly, because that's what bad guys do. Chuckle evilly. She raises her hands above her, not as if she's casting a smell, or a spell. I said smell. Spell! <laughs> not as if she's casting a spell, but in triumph. Artis happens to look up, and through the great stained glass window into the sky above, she sees a large shadow. Run, screams Quintius in her mind. A command artist echoes to her friends. Everyone runs in different directions. As something huge shatters through the glass above them. Ran tackles Kip out of the way barely in time as the huge shape smashes into the ground where they once stood. I can explain Bartlemus very squished at this point. 
Literally, they ran and dove and all that kind of stuff to get out of the way. And as they turn around quickly, reaching for their weapons, standing up to see what now lies behind them. They see that the floor is covered in broken glass. In fact, some of it's in them. Little minor injuries, nothing major. But now Soraya is sitting there on the back of a great dragon. A dragon unlike any of them have ever seen. Not that they've seen a lot of dragons, but they've seen some. Mercy and her friends are friends with some dragons. You can imagine a couple popped in. Zack and Twill, maybe, for those of you who've been with me a while. But this dragon is dark, much like a black dragon, although with less detail, almost as if there's a, a black mist around him. Only Petal recognizes this from her education and training to be a shadow dragon. Yes, those are a thing. Sitting on the back of the great beast, and it's, it doesn't look like a massive one, so it's not like a huge great worm or anything. It's small, but it's still a dragon. Sitting on the back of the beast, Soraya yells out, Farewell, artists of serenity, until our paths undoubtedly pass again. With a great leap, the dragon hurls himself through the hole in the ceiling and into the air. They can hear the flap of its great wings, and over the next moment, those sounds fade away. Now this next line is important. The castle is still on fire. <laughs> now, I, wish, I keep bringing that up because it's important. The rafters are in flames at this point. Tables are falling to pieces. They're burned. The tapestries are gone. There's nothing left of the tapestries. There's so much fire that it has clearly spread out of this room and is starting to burn its way through the castle of which there is a lot to burn. It's an old castle with a lot of old dried wood in it. You can imagine there's a lot of lamps with fuel in them. When it hits that, that's just another little pop of explosion of fire. Spreads it even worse. All of that type of stuff is going on. They are standing in the inferno that is now this castle. Of course, the first instinct in this moment would be to flee, right? But they can't. Because now they're stuck with a dilemma. Then who's in the tower? The man on the altar was clearly being treated poorly. Asked them to save her in the tower. Couldn't have meant the princess. Then who did he mean? Is there someone up there that still needs saving? And if so, can they in the right mind leave them to a blazing fire? The decision is quickly made for them. As Quintius tells Artis, it is imperative that they save the person in the tower. Quintius doesn't know who it is, knows only that it is imperative that they save the person in the tower. I gotta remember, he gets these messages literally from the goddess of light. Now like pops in and, you know, tells him a story, but the knowledge just is his all of a sudden. It's bequeathed to him from her. That's how that works. 
Artis has zero hesitation. Tower it is. We've got to go save her. Maeve's like, Goddess of Light says that's what we got to do. I got no problem with that. And Rand, being the honorable guy, goes, I don't want us to die, but 100%, I can't let somebody burn in the tower. And so they begin to start walking in that direction when Petal calls out to them to wait. And they stop, and they're looking around at the fire like, Petal, we have to go. If we're going to get all the way up to the tower and back and stuff, we've got to go now. Petal just looks at them with a weird look on her face. I can't go with you. I have to go to the library. And they're like, what? We don't have time to go to the library. If we, We're not going to have time to do both of these things. It's not possible. This place is on fire. The whole castle is bursting into flame. We've got to get up there, get whoever that is, and get them out of here. Petal genuinely looks like tears are coming to her eyes. She goes, I can't. I have to go. I have to get something there. I can't let it be burned. There's not a lot of time for conversation. And you can see that Artis and Maeve are torn. They're like, well, they want to help their friend. They don't know what she's on about. They know that she's a big deal about this library. But they also cannot just let someone burn up in the top of a tower. There's no escaping the tower. It's way up there. Even if they could get out, they're going to fall into a fire and die. Kip steps forward and says, I'll get her there. I'll get her to the library, get whatever the hell it is she needs, and I will get her out of here. We'll meet you at the gate. Arson Maeve says, are you sure, Petal? Petal goes, I have to. Kip kind of gives him away and goes, I promise. He goes, I'll get her out of here. And Rand steps up and puts his hand on his friend's shoulder. Make sure you get yourself out of here too, my friend. The two groups split, now headed in several in separate directions. Kip and Petal run through the burning halls. Dead soldiers are everywhere. Okay? Not just the ones that they killed. Every soldier that was standing up in a hallway is now lying on the ground dead. There's no signs of any of the shadow creatures, and if they do come across the ones that they cut up to slow down, they're just laying there dead as well. There's no signs of any of the shadow creatures. They don't run into any blocking of that way whatsoever. But there's just dead soldiers. So I'm going to run around those, some of which are at this point on fire. Fortunately, they've been to the library enough, they know exactly where it is. And while it's a little bit deeper into the castle, it's not that far, really. So they're really hurrying around, and the halls at this point are catching on fire. There's things burning, but they're running through mostly stone halls. So it's a, a you know, like a tube, hot tube, if you will. But they're able to do so. They come to the end of the hallway, and they, where they would turn to then go up the short hallway to the library. Double doors, we've talked about this, kind of the layout. And they come around that corner. And in the distance, they can see that the library doors are open, but there's already fire inside. Petal goes to step forward, but Kip barely pulls her to the side as she, see, she feels something just go whoosh, right past her face. She stumbles backwards and actually lands on her, on her butt kind of behind him because he had to pull her so hard. Then he pulls his sword and Kip pulls out a sword and dagger. So he's got a sword and dagger. Standing before them is Brendan, holding a large axe. They can see he's there to kill them. Now he's got like this evil look on his face and says, She wishes you dead, so dead you will be, kind of thing. 
clearly again, a servant of Sariah. But he again doesn't have the shadow thing about him, almost like a willing servant, if you will. Kim Scott is startled. Like I said, he pulls out a dagger with a look and says, Hurry on, Petal. I'll be there in a minute. Petal looks at the two men and then nods and runs towards the library. Brendan smiles evilly. I'm going to kill you, half-breed, and then I'm going to kill the little girl. Kip's face shows no emotion. I promised I'd get her home safe. I will not break that promise. And the two men rush towards each other. Hello, Anzo. Petal rushed into the burning library. Shells were already on fire, as, as well as the wooden beams overhead. She moved quickly around the flames and moved directly towards the shelf that had the old books on it. There was no hesitation as she grabbed the book that she'd looked at before and quickly shoved it into her pack. She strapped her pack on, you know, she took her backpack off, straps it over her shoulders as quickly as she can and then turns to rush back towards the exit. She has barely taken a step before a large cracking noise came from overhead. Petal looked up to see the large central beam that holds up not only the ceiling but the chandelier had been weakened by the flames and had split in two. The large chandelier had come loose and the entire thing was falling directly towards her. Petal ran as fast as she could and as she felt it drawing near she dove to get out of the way. But she'd not been quick enough. She felt a great weight strike her from behind and she fell to the ground, pinned and in pain. She tried to pull herself out, but the chandelier was far too heavy for her to lift, and she was stuck fast. Her mind raced across her remaining spells, but as the flames slowly moved closer and closer towards her, she realized she had nothing left that could help her. She could only struggle in vain. The air was filled with smoke, and she began to cough. It was beginning to get hard to breathe. And then suddenly, Kip was there. Hold on, Petal, he cried. He tried to lift the chandelier, but it was far too heavy for him. He laid down on his back next to her, and pressing his feet against it, pushed with all of his strength, screaming with the exertion of it. Finally, it budged a little. Just enough that Petal managed to wiggle herself free. And once she was, Kip let the chandelier come crashing back down. Petal actually ended up helping Kip rise. And coughing through their smoke, they both made their way out of the library. Back in the hall, smoke wasn't as thick, less to burn there. Petal was shocked to find that Kip had a huge cut across his chest and was just covered in blood. Don't fret, lass, he said, giving her a wink. Most of it's his. Petal couldn't help but chuckle as he took her hand and began leading her away to try and find a way out. She hoped her friends were safe as well. Ran, Artis, and Maeve rushed up the narrow stairs leading to the top of the tower. They'd run into no opposition as the guards they passed all lay dead on the ground. Finally, they reached the top. 
The steps went right up to a thick metal door that was barred and chained. A small opening at its base was likely for slipping in food and water, potentially the removal of waste. They could see or hear nothing of what lied beyond the door. It's solid. There's no windows. Inspecting the door, they found the chain sturdy, but not very thick. And none of them looked like they'd been opened or even moved in ages. If anyone's in there, step away from the door, called out Maeve. We're breaking in. Maeve began to smash the pummel of her sword against the lock. After a few strong hits, the lock broke open easily. So I want to say this is a lock that's clearly not designed to be stopped by a minotaur with a heavy sword. But a regular person's not going to just break this lock. Kind of give you an idea of the size and strength of the lock. Pulling loose the chains on this door, Maeve lift and tossed aside, again, which kind of went down the stairs, the metal slat that was also blocking the door. Once all those obstacles are removed, Maeve kicked the door open with one blow. Stepping inside, they were horrified. The smell was horrendous. The dark, dirty room was hideous. Curled up on the rotting mattress in the corner was an older human female. Her long, disheveled gray, grayish white hair hung past her waist and she was dressed in little more than rags. Her eyes stared at them in fear and they could see that in the room there was no source of light. Ran is carrying a torch. I need to point that out. Because Artis and he do not have infravision. Artis approached the woman slowly. She kneeled next to her. The woman you know, kind of hesitates back. There's nowhere she can go. She's in a corner. The artist gets down next to her and says, My name is Artis Harriton von Weston, and I'm a princess of the Kingdom of Serenity, and a cleric of Zorn, God of Truth. The cleric stuff is pretty obvious, but she is covered in some blood and things, too. We have come to rescue you. The king is dead, and Princess Soraya has fled the kingdom. The woman stared at her a moment in disbelief. And then tears came to her eyes, and she lunged forward, wrapping her arms around Artis. Thank the light, is all she could say through her tears. There was no time for introductions. Artis said only that the castle was ablaze, and that they must flee quickly. The woman understood and rose to go with them. She was so thin and weak, she almost fell immediately. With no time to spare, Maeve scooped her up effortlessly, and immediately they began journeying back down. By the time they reached the bottom floor, the castle was almost completely engulfed in flames. They rushed up to the parapets of the outer wall, fighting past the blaze. When they could go no further, Rand tied off a rope to some nearby stone. Down was their only way out. It wasn't easy, especially getting the lady down with him, weak, couldn't hold onto a rope. But finally, they all managed to reach the ground outside and began making their way away from the wall and around to the front of the castle. Moving away from the wall, because even with the stone, things burn, crumbling, it could start falling over, things could fall off to them. They're just being careful. You go in the front gate. 
When they finally made their way around and arrived, they were relieved to find Kip and Petal waiting for them. Artis did what she could to see to the worst of their injuries as they helplessly watched the castle burn. No one else fled the keep. There were no other survivors. So that, they're watching, right? Was there anybody in there? Someone made the food? Who was doing that? Was it the clerics? Right? There were Somebody was in there doing things. But no one else comes out. So whether it was minions of Soraya or shadow creatures inside of a form that were doing some of the things they saw, uh, they, they, no one else comes out. Nor do they see any signs of shadow creatures moving or anything. All they see is the whole castle ablaze. Now, the woman, obviously, even though all this is going on, they can look at her and tell her that she's starving. They, get, they immediately get out, out of their own packs a little bit of food and water that they have. Someone that's starving, they just can't gorge themselves. It'll make them sick. So they help her drink slowly and take a few bites of the food to get some food in her stomach. She's going to need some strength. Petal took a moment to speak to the woman and asked her, asked her identity. Like, hey, who are you? We're glad you see you're safe. It's really nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Petal. Introduce everybody. I didn't catch your name. <laughs> Who are you exactly? They were all shocked, a little amazed, to find out that she was, in fact, Queen Anella, the king's second wife. It turns out Anella, a young woman when married to the king, so I want to point out, while she looks like she's really old, she's really not. The 20 years, if not well, a little less, but the years, decade plus, that she spent in that room, barely fed, barely given anything to survive, uh, has just physically made her look like she's aged way, way more than she than her actual ages. She was also a follower of the light. Not a cleric, by any means, but a devout follower of the light. And realized very soon after their marriage that there was a darkness in Princess Soraya, who at the time was just a child. She, of course, went to the king to make him aware. The king was torn. He loved his new wife dearly, but he could not turn on his own daughter. The queen quickly... Oh, Ashley called it? Ha <laughs> ha! Good job, Ashley. Jim says Ashley called it. Good call! <laughs> the queen was already loved by the entire staff and the citizens of the... People were so happy to have, you know, have a queen again, you know. But she was uh, one of them, right? She was a, a local that was taken as queen. She was not a noble, high-ranked noble of birth. Uh, but she was just a wonderful person. So everybody seemed to love the queen. Fearing this growing influence, Soraya convinced her father that she was going to turn on Soraya. She was going to have the citizens hurt her or exile her or so on and so forth. Maybe even take the throne from him in order to punish the daughter. The king was convinced by Sariah, but even though he was convinced to turn on his new wife, could not bring himself to kill her. And so he had her locked up in the tower. Now after that, of course, as things became what we know they to be, Sariah probably could have very easily had her killed at that point, but it was almost as if Sariah took a a little bit of joy in the fact that knew that she was up there abandoned to her loneliness.
With nothing left to be done, Artis and her friends began the jury, their journey away from the castle. They were all tired and hurt and injured, but they also agreed they needed to be away from the castle before making any type of camp. It was unknown who or what might still be in the area that might even serve Soraya. It would be best to put some distance between them. After a couple very hard hours of travel, they could go no further and made camp on the edge of a small forest. We're not done yet. Still got some stuff. We're probably going to hit another 10, 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes at least. I've got stuff. I've got finish-up stuff to do and something special. But first, I'm going to read this. Hours later, before the sun had even rose, Ran sat alone, away from the camp. Though tired, he could not sleep. There was too much on his mind. Their camp was, as I said, at the edge of a small forest, and Ran had gone deeper into the trees to be alone and think. When he heard the footstep break the twig, his hand quickly moved to his sword. He relaxed quickly when he recognized Kip's footsteps. Standing, he stood to face his friend. You did well today, Kip said, smiling. You didn't hesitate once. You did what you had to in order to protect them. Kip walked closer so as not to raise his voice and risk waking the others. Even though there's a ways away, you still don't want to be yelling out in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night. Thank you, Rand replied nervously. I know your help has taught me much. I showed you nothing more than what you were capable of, Kip said to Ran. It took strength to make the right choices. I thought we were lost in there, Ran said, even quieter. I thought I... I thought you'd be hurt, or worse. Kip stepped up directly in front of him. It'll take more than a fire, a dragon, and a dark bitch cleric to take me out. Both men smiled. Kip reached out and put his arms around Ran, and then leaned in and pressed their lips together. Ran was surprised, and in shock quickly pulled away and stepped back. Kip stood there a moment, a confused look on his face. But after a moment, the look changed to one of understanding. Ah, it seems I misunderstood, Kip said. With a small bow, he said, Please forgive my error. I didn't mean to upset you. And with that, he turned to leave. Wait, said Ran. Kip turns and looks back. And Rand stands there very nervously. You did not misunderstand. I did, he says. It was you I dreamed of, he said. I didn't understand why. The others dreamed of their parents, their loved ones. But I didn't dream of my parents. I didn't dream of the queen. Not even my princess. 
It was you who held their hands around my neck, telling me I had failed and that it was bet to let it go, to let my life of failure come to an end. I didn't understand. I thought that I'd betrayed my family, my princess. But it seems my heart knew what my mind had not yet realized. Rand steps in, and this time it's he who kisses Kip. A moment later, they stood there staring at each other. I don't, I mean, I've never... Ren's clearly nervous. And Kip takes his hands. Don't worry, boyo. There's no hurry. We have all the time in the world. And taking his hand, the two men walk deeper into the forest. And exactly at that time, for some reason, I got a phone call. Let me just <laughs> let me block that. It takes them a couple of days group to make it back to the city. And you remember when they first came to Caradon, they started the city on the coast, made it to the big central city, and then went to the king. Right? It took them like two days to get there. It's going to take a couple extra days to get back, because they still have the queen, who's very weak. Fortunately, um, even though she's super thin and everything's really big on her, um, Artis has some clothing that they can dress her in, some rather regal stuff that Artis brings with her in case she has to look princessy for a reason, right? She always brings, she has a couple outfits like that back on the ship. She's not worried about it. But, you know, she always has one with her in case they'd gotten to this castle and she had to come out dressed as a princess and kind of hide the fact that she's a cleric. Clerics don't like to hide the fact that they're a cleric. Especially a cleric of truth. But there's also understanding. There's also white lies. There's a line there. You got to be careful. As they reach the city, very quickly the news spreads. Not only that heroes that had come through, because remember, they were a little bit of a big big deal when they came through there. Not only have they returned, they returned with the queen and news that the king and the princess were dead. Because that's the story that they tell. That the king and the, that's the story, I'm sorry, that the queen tells. They don't dispute it, they don't actively say it. But the queen says, probably for the best, that they say it that way because if they know Sarai is still out there, that could be an issue. All of them agree there's not a, not a lot of likelihood that she's going to come back here. Everything that she built up and was working on has kind of gone away at this point. So, they feel they're going to probably run into her in the future because I'm nothing if not predictable. But they don't think she'll be returning here. So the queen's the way as she tells the story is that both the king and the princess died saving her defeating Bartlemus. So that's the story. That Bartlemus had cast a spell and had locked her hidden away and the king didn't know. When the king and the princess found out, they fought their way up to get to her. I did forget to mention one thing. My goodness, I feel horrible. I had it written down and I, I skipped right over it. There was clearly not time for looting in the castle, right? It was on fire. So they didn't search and find any treasure or any loot. They didn't run off with some gold coins or a chest of gems that they found hidden somewhere. They really had basically nothing 
of, of noteworth from the castle except two things. One, the book that Petal has in her pack. She still hasn't told anybody what it is. And Maeve had taken the king's sword. Picking it up, she realized it was of exceptional make and could tell that it was the sword that was hanging over the fireplace that was recently taken. One who had a name. And I have the name written down. I can get that for you if you want it. Uh, but the, uh, it, the name that meant Giant Slayer. And so she does take that sword, which for her, as I've mentioned, is a, a big one-handed sword, but would be two-handed for a regular person. So they do have that sword. That's the only other loot that they walked out of there with. I wanted to make sure, now that I remember I forgot that, to bring that up, because that, in case it pops up in the future, I don't, know, I don't remember him saying he didn't take that. She did take the sword. But that's the only thing they pulled out of there. The people accept the queen very easily as their leader. Again, she was already beloved years ago. It doesn't take long for them to fall back in. And tells the people that they will rebuild, but not on the old site. They're going to let the dead lie where they are. Mostly because she doesn't want anybody going back there and discovering any of the evil, the ground that could be consecrated, and what if there's stuff in there that's bad. So they say they'll rebuild somewhere else. She'll live here in the city and so on and so forth and lead from this place. But the people are happy to have her. Now, they decide to stay a few days there and reel and ha- uh, heal and rest and gather supplies, right? This point, there's no imminent threat. They've got the queen to basically a city full of people. She's relatively safe. And Quintius does not detect any issues in the city, at least within range of his abilities. None of the people he sees are ghosty, shadow, smoky people. None of that. Nobody of dark intent. Doesn't sense any evil clerics. At this point, doesn't sense any problems at all. And in fact, it almost feels like there's a weight off the kingdom. It doesn't have that gloom and that heavy feeling that they had. The people seem literally happier, and especially when the queen pops in. It literally feels like the weight is taken off of everyone's back, of the citizens who live there. The people, of course, view the uh, artists and her friends as heroes, right? They were already heroic and they came through, and to find out that the queen specifically says, yes, it was them who brought knowledge of my plight to the king and fought with them against Bottomus to save me, and blah, 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 they're heroes, and treats them as such. Uh, to which they, you know, begrudgingly accept, but they don't take charity because they're, you know, they, they're, that's not their role. Uh, but they do, you know, kind of accept that status. They use that as an opportunity to to rest, get some supplies, so they can continue their trek back towards the coast because they've got to get back to their ship. After a couple of days, they then continue on. The queen stays there. She's going to stay there, start to rebuild, so on and so forth. She offers them. Um, like an escort. Do you want me to have an escort take you to thing? She's like, they're like, no, no, we're good there. But she does, t- they, they do take horses. They're offered horses. They're going to leave the horses at the city. They'll be returned to the queen. They're basically borrowing the queen's car. They're not going to keep the horses. There's no room for horses on their ship. But they do take the horses because now that this is done, they're kind of in a hurry to get back to the ship. They've been gone a while. They know that Lyman and the others could be worried. And they did give them kind of a specific time to wait on them before finally returning back uh, to uh, their home, right, back to Darchtopia. So they don't want to miss that and then miss their ride. So they do accept the horses to hurry back. So they finally, you know, they travel again for two days, another two days, a little less, on the horses. And they make it back to the town at the edge of the coast, where Lyman and the crew are still waiting with the Miss Dandelion. 
They had no incidents the entire trip back. There were no weird, freaky wolves, dogs, things. Again, nothing popped up that would be a danger. In fact, it literally felt more light and such as they were traveling. The Lyman and of course Lyman and the crew were ecstatic that they made it back. They're very happy to see them again, and of course blown away by the tale, which they get the true tale. They're not going to lie to them. Um, Lyman, of course, advised them that he only needs a couple of hours before they could take off. They're prepped, pretty much ready to go. Grab a few last-minute perishables. They can be ready to go in a couple of hours. They have a few things they're going to do before they leave. Uh, Kip is going to escort um, Petal to the little town mayor to kind of explain about the queen and this. Please make sure the horses get back. Tell what the story was. Petal's more comfortable telling the falsity. Uh, Telling the same story the queen told uh, and so on. Um, And then Kip is going to go pick up a little bit of supplies. And then Artis and Maeve are going to work with Lyman on um, plotting their next course, where they're going next, which you'll find out in a moment. So everybody's off doing their thing, preparing Getting ready to leave in a couple of hours. The Miss Dandelion is finally going to set sail once again. Heading south. Not far away. Hmm. Um, I don't have an answer for that. Sorry. Like Alexa. Um, So, not far away. Can you say it again? No. Stop talking to me. I'm not sure. Uh, So... (laughs) Not far away, a man stands in an alley in the same town. He's looking into a glass orb, the type of orb used for communication at long distances. The orb begins to glow, and even though he can see no one in it, he knows that she's there and that she's waiting. He begins to explain the heroes had gone into the castle queen was saved. No one died, but there were injuries, but everyone made it out okay. Explaining what's going on in there. The female voice comes from the globe, asking some specifics about some of the the party. What What happened with artists? What happened with Petal? What happened with Maeve? Asking for specific what injuries were had. What did they do? What did they gain? He explains in detail. And where do they go next, the female voice says. The man in the alley says that they plan to travel south. It appears they're going to try to track down Seraph, continue their original quest to catch up to him, though at this point there's no telling how far away he might be. There's a pause of silence. And the female voice says, You have done well, but... Remember your oath. I promise, my lady. I promise you the rose. That I will bring her home safely. The globe goes dark. And Kip wraps up the glass ball in some cloth. Tucks it down deep in his pack, hidden within his other clothing. Taking his pack and sliding it over his shoulder, he leaves the alley, returning to the ship that's preparing to leave. So I got one more thing. <laughs> but hold on, I gotta take a drink. I got one more reading to do. 
And actually, that was the thing. Okay. Now this next part, we've been building up for a while. So I'm excited to finally get to put this out there. The blizzard's winds blew hard across Serenity. The country was covered in a thick blanket of snow and ice and had been for months. This is, by the way, a short time later, but very far away. In his small cottage deep in the wood... Ooh, hang on a second. Some <laughs> cool. <laughs> I like that. Um, in his small cottage deep in the woods, Tevin placed another piece of wood on the fire. It was warm and comfortable inside, and he had more than enough supplies to make it through the winter. Even still, his friend Draven did visit every couple of weeks to check on him. He sat back down at the table to continue his carving. He was getting pretty good at it, and was proud of the detail of the bear he held in his hands, a wood carving. Standing there, oh sorry, blah, blah, blah. suddenly there was a hard knock on the door, and he rose surprised. Draven wasn't due for another week, and no one else but Kevin, or Kelvin, ever visited him out here, because he lives way out. doesn't get a lot of visitors. Kelvin, the cleric, is his friend. They're, they're good friends as well. But Kelvin wouldn't be out in weather like this. Kelvin's no fool. He slowly made his way to the door and cautiously opened it. Standing there, covered in heavy furs and snow, was Cat. He quickly rushed her in but hesitated a moment before closing the door behind her. He looked out into the dark and windy snow ahead of him. He could sense there were others out there in the trees. Closing the door, he turned to her. Are you okay? Where have you been? He asked as she took off the large pack on her back. He hadn't seen her in nearly seven months. I am fine, thank you, she said. He couldn't help but hear the stress in her voice. What has happened? He asked flatly. After being gone so long and just showing up, and he can hear stress in her voice, a voice that normally does not hold stress. She turns and looks at him. Much, she replied, setting her pack gently on the table. But little of it can I share with you. She stood before him, and he could tell that she was building up. She was going to say something. He allowed her a moment to gather her thoughts. At this point, she'd taken off the... She'd opened up her big, thick, woolly coat. But she didn't take it off. She stood before him. I am leaving Serenity. I know not if I shall ever return. I cannot tell you any more of it, other than know that where I go... There shall be great danger. If I have any hope of succeeding, of getting this done correctly, there is something I need from you. Poor Tevin, this is a bit of this is a shock, right? Like he's crazy about this woman. She said, I have to leave, I'll be gone for a long time, I don't know when I'll be back. 
It's been seven months. She pops up in the middle of a blizzard only to tell him she's leaving Serenity and may never return. And she's walking into great danger. You can imagine. Immediately he offers to go with her. Then let me go with you. I'm more than capable, and you could use, I'm sure could use my healing. If it's as dangerous as you said, then someone of... And he's not, he's not being a braggart here. He's being honest. Someone with my skills and abilities would only be a benefit for you. She smiles and gets that kind of... Shakes her head, coy look on her face whenever he says stuff like that. She's like... He goes, I'm sure your help would be overwhelmingly useful. But where I go and the things I have to do, you could never be a part of. And his heart just sinks at hearing that because I mean, she's not going to do the most wholesome of things. He knows her line of work. Then what is it you need from me? He asks. He's not mad, but he's hurt at this point. If I can't know where you're going, you may never be back. You won't tell me what you're doing. You won't take with me. What is it that I can do for you? I need you to protect something, she says. Something more important to me than anything else in this world. There's no way I can go and do what has to be done if I have to worry. He's like, well, of course, I'm, I'm happy to. If there's anything I can do, because he's, he's in love with the woman. If there's anything I can do, you know, and that's about all he gets to say before he hears a sound. Tevin is a woodsman. He comes from uh, a race of people that I call tribals, groups of merged worlds that are somewhat close to what you, you might call like a Native American style of living. Um, and so he, he's from that group, born and raised of the woods and such. He has moved silently, so when he dresses, he dresses very much of that way, even though his clothes are, his leathers are tinted the light blue of that of a cleric of healing. The first cleric of any god uh, for his race of, of uh, tanned or skinned people. And as such, even in the many years he's been alive, because you'll remember it's Draven's friend, he's been alive longer than it appears because the way time moves and Draven has basically used him as a juice box on certain occasions. It's prolonged his life, so he's, excuse me, still fully human, but he's aging a bit slower because of that. I know using the term using Draven, using him as a juice box. I don't know why that came out like that, but that's kind of funny. I'm going to remember that. Um, <laughs> he's very competent and very knowledgeable. So he knows the sound of any animal that would ever be in this area. And he knows that the sound that came from her pack was not an animal. She turns, cat, and unties the bundle of heavy furs and opens them and Tevin can only stand there in pure shock at the baby wrapped inside. He steps forward and just looks down at the baby. Huh? 
He's speechless. The baby, not really crying as such, more just making baby noises. If you've ever been around a baby, you know what I'm talking about. And he just stares at this little baby that can't be more than a month, month and a half old tops. And he turns and looks at Kat. It's only now that looking at her, he can see that she looks pale and weak for what likely might have been a very difficult pregnancy. He doesn't know what to say. She looks down and picks up the baby, holds him against her for a moment, and then looks up at him and says, he has your eyes. Slowly, she hands Kevin his son. Kevin's mind is blown. And looking back at Kat, you can't leave. Not like this. Not with him. You can't just leave him and go and never come back? Going somewhere where you... There's no way this can happen. She's like, it's already decided. Nothing can keep this from happening. But unless I know he's safe here with you, his father, I will not have the right mindset to do what has to be done. So you have a choice. I can leave him here with you, or I can take him into danger with me. What kind of choice is that? Devin can feel tears rising in his eyes as he looks down at his son. His focus is on the baby. When he finally looks up, he sees that she's already tied her shirt back on. He's like, you're leaving now? She goes, I have to. Time is of the essence and I must leave immediately. There are things that have to be done and they have to be done quickly. She grabs a couple things and she sets down a bag with baby supplies. <laughs> Stuff you'll need. Now, again... Kevin's a reasonably well-trained man. While he's never had a child, he's participated in the birthing of children at the temple many times that he's been there. He's a cleric of healing. He has knowledge about some of this stuff, though it's not quite the same when suddenly it's yours and you weren't ready for it. And he can barely whisper, please don't go. And for just a moment, it's almost like her mask cracks. And she too just gets a look of just pain. Just for a second, she regains her composure. I must, she said. When he's old enough, just promise me. Tell him I did this because I loved him. And it's what was for his best. Kevin goes to speak again. She opens the door and the wind blows in and just instinctually he turns to 
hide the baby from the cold. She smiles at that instinct, seeing him already, his first thoughts is to protect the baby. And with a nod, she walks out and closes the door behind her. He steps to the window and looking out, sees her moving towards the trees. And then sure enough, from the trees, he sees more shapes like hers, you know, the big bundle in the firs moving as three or four figures start moving into the woods. She's not alone out there. But who the others were, she can only guess. Tevin looks down at the child in his arms and realizes she never told him a name. Carefully goes over and looks through the things she's left but finds no paper, no scroll, nothing. No notes. <laughs> then it popped up. Jim asks for the baby's name. He's standing there holding his son that has no name. And Tevin, honestly, for the first time in a very long time, has absolutely no idea what to do. That's where we're going to stop for tonight. Bet you can bet he can't wait till Draven comes by. <laughs> but... The, uh, the Tevin side story that I've been telling in segments for the last several months has always been building to this, this moment. Um, I was very excited to finally get to bring this child into the story. As for a name, we'll find out a name. I know the name. You don't know the name yet. Tevin doesn't know the name yet. But uh, he's going to have to pick one, won't he? So we tied up a lot of loose ends today. And maybe even opened up a few new ones, perhaps. <laughs> Kip. <laughs> but, uh, again, I would like to thank everyone for letting me tell my story. I know I ran long today. I'm over two hours. Uh, I had a lot to get accomplished. I wrote for six hours straight today, and my fingers hurt. I told you that. It's your fault. I do this for you. <laughs> but... Um, this was, of course, the first Tuesday that Merge Worlds is on, and Merge Worlds will be every other Tuesday uh, here on YouTube, uh, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that's the new schedule, so it'll be here because my work schedule, my regular job uh, is. So, uh, two weeks from now, we'll be back, um, and I can tell you we'll be continuing the saga, um, but time might move forward just a smidge. Maybe a small space between where we leave off now and where we begin next time. Okay? But again, I'd like to thank you all uh, for all of the love and support that you give Merged Worlds. Uh, it means a lot to me, and it's awesome to know that it means a lot to you guys, too. Um, if you are watching this, either today, tomorrow, or ten years down the road, it'd be awesome if you'd consider hitting the like button. And if you're new here, be sure to subscribe. Uh, if you have iTunes, Spotify, or any of the podcasting. It would also mean the world to me if you wouldn't mind taking a moment and giving us a follow over there. Throw us five stars, thumbs up, and take a moment to give a rating if you can. Or not a rating, a, uh, a review. That would also be awesome. Uh, just trying to grow the Merge Worlds family to as many people as I possibly can. Um, but hopefully I gave you some things to think about. And uh, hopefully you'll come back in two more weeks where we step into the next phase 
of the uh, Merged World Saga. I'm excited to continue the story. With that, I will bid you all a fond adieu. I hope you have yourselves a wonderful evening and a wonderful rest of your week. And I hope to see you again very soon back here in Merged Worlds. Thank you.